Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, uh, Ben, for, for leading us in worship. Go ahead and take your Bibles out this morning and turn to the, the book of Numbers. Book of Numbers. We've got, um, I want to finish up chapter 6 this morning. We'll, we'll take a break next week for, uh, for Easter, but want to uh, finish up uh, chapter 6. You guys have been uh, faithfully working through the, the cell group journal and uh, and I'm, I'm sure that God has been, has been teaching you, teaching you much from, uh, from the book of Numbers. Uh, this morning, we, we come to a, a, really, a really kind of uh, strange text in, the, in kind of the flow of Numbers. We've been talking a lot about holiness and sin. And then all of a sudden, here in number six, we get a blessing, right? A blessing. Um, maybe, maybe you're familiar with the, the idea of, of blessing, uh, when I first thought of blessing, this is what came to my mind. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we shall be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread, right? That's what I thought of when I thought of blessing, right? If you're uh, over five here this morning, you've, uh, you probably recognize that blessing is the way that if, you, if you've kind of grown up in a, in a Christian home, maybe that's the way that you, uh, you begin every meal, right, at your, at your home around the dinner table with your with your parents. And if you think about it, that little prayer, right, that little prayer uh, for all of the bad press that it sometimes gets is actually pretty profound, right? It extols God for his greatness, acknowledges his goodness by recognizing him as the, the source of, of good gifts, namely the, the meal that you're about to partake of, right? And it expresses trust that by his hands, not by your own, right, by his hands we shall be fed. It, it expresses trust that by his hands you are, you're sustained, you're, you're provided. It's a, it's a kind of blessing, right? It's a kind of blessing, a blessing where God is praised as the giver of good gifts. And, and when it flows, when that kind of blessing, uh, maybe you don't say God is great, God is good over a meal, maybe you uh, pray a more kind of... Uh, spontaneous type of prayer, but when those, when those types of prayers, when they flow from a, a genuine heart that is, it's not uh, just a, a meaningless ritual that we go through that we have to do before we, we eat our dinner or our lunch or whatever, it's good, it's right, right? And it's a, it's a great place, right? It's, it's one of the things we do every night at my table is, is we, uh, we ask one of our boys in some way to kind of to say the blessings. We're, we're tr- teaching them to pray, teaching them to pray. But here's the deal. That's not the kind of blessing that we're talking about here this morning. The kind of blessing that, that we're talking about here this morning is, is different, right? There's a, there's a sense of blessing in which we are praising God or blessing God for the good gifts that he has given us, but then there's, there's also a different sense of blessing. That's the kind of blessing that we have here in number 6 verses 22 through 27. It's a blessing that flows in the opposite direction. A blessing that flows in the opposite direction. God, the giver of all good things, right? James says, "Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. This God who is the giver of all good gifts and this type of blessing, he's actually giving us Something He's blessing us with good, good gifts. Now, unfortunately, this concept of blessing, where God is actually providing something for his people, it's kind of a junk drawer in our society. It's kind of a junk drawer in the English language. It means all kinds of things. Uh, for example, uh, most of you in this room probably say something like, God bless you, 
when someone sneezes, right? I chew, God bless you, right? That's how I did it growing up, right? And come to find out, like, I, was, I was curious about this this week. Like, where did that come from? Like, why do we say, God bless you when someone sneezes, right? And it come to find out, it actually goes back to at least the 6th century, maybe even further, but at least the 6th century when Pope Gregory commanded all of the, uh, the Christians in the Roman Empire to say, God bless you when someone sneezes, because he was convinced that if you sneezed, it was a sign you had the plague. And, well, if you've got the plague, well, you're, you're done for, so God bless you, we'll see you on the other side kind of thing, right? Now, some of us use the phrase uh, bless or God bless you as, as no more than a Christianized version of good luck, right? Like, bless you, have a good day, well wishes, that kind of thing. And stranger even still than all of these things, here in the South, we use the word bless in this kind of ironic, twisted, cynical kind of way, right? You know, the, uh, your friend at the restaurant's got a piece of lettuce in her teeth, and you say, oh, bless her heart kind of thing, right? Or somebody you know says something foolish, and bless his, bless his heart, right? We, we do it in a weird way. And then even beyond this, most sinister of all, This word of bless, God bless, God's blessings, they've been hijacked by a group of people claiming to be believers, and they've boiled it down to just material things, right? Good health, lots of money, a fancy car, on and on we could go. But but here here in the book of Numbers, blessing is something much bigger, much bigger, much richer, much fuller, than the way um, our modern English language has kind of created this junk drawer for blessing. Now, uh, where we are in Numbers, God's people are are looking for blessing. This is something that they desire. They They were travelers. They're not traveling yet, but they are travelers, and they will be traveling soon. They're going to embark on this journey from where they are, in the book of Numbers, right? They're they're kind of huddled around Mount Sinai, kind of at this stage in the book. But soon they're going to be on a journey. They're going to be headed to the promised land. But, but the trip is not going to be easy. We're going to get to the trip in the second part of our sermon series in the wilderness. But this trip is not going to be easy. There are great dangers that lie in front of them. And far worse than the dangers that lay um, in front of them, external to them, are the dangers that lie within them. We've, we've already kind of seen this, right? Their sin is dangerous, Their sin is dangerous because they live in proximity to a holy God, to a holy God. And so um, as they're they're marching, as they're making this journey, they, they need God's blessing. And so God speaks to Moses, to his people in our text this morning, a promise of blessing, a promise of blessing to be spoken over all of the people of Israel, and in turn, all of God's people for all generations, right? It's, a, it's a, a blessing that reveals the very heart of God. That's why, that's why this passage this morning is really, you may not have known it, but it's one of the most popular verses of Scripture in the entire Bible. It's been used by the church for centuries in, in, the, public worship, um, in the public worship of God. God speaks to Moses a, a promise of blessing here to be spoken over his people. And that includes you and I, and it shows us his heart. And this is kind of the, the thing that I want us to take away this morning. The, the main idea is that God's heart is to bless his people with the grace and peace of his presence. God's heart is to bless his people with the grace and peace of his presence. Let's find out more about blessing. Read with me 
beginning in Numbers 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will bless them. This passage here in Numbers, it it probably, depending on who you ask, it may be one of the most poetically rich uh, verses in the entire Bible. Um, If you're you're familiar with the New Testament, particularly the writers of uh, the New Testament letters, like Paul and Peter, most of the time they'll open their, their letters with the terms grace and peace, right? Grace and peace to you. It comes from this. It comes, they're, they're drawing upon a rich Old Testament tradition that comes from this blessing. It's called the Aaronic blessing over God's people, right? But, but what is the source of this blessing? As I approached the text this week, that was the first question that I had. The first question that, that prompted me from the text is, what is the source of of this blessing, right? And, and we find that in the, in the poetry that's there, like in the structure of it. For example, between verses 24 and 25, the length of the text steadily grows. You probably, maybe you noticed that if you read it slowly this week. It, it, it starts out with a, a small number of words and syllables, and it steadily grows until it gets to verse 26, I mean, even the, the number of syllables is thought by some, some scholars to be an allusion to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? That's how, that's how deep and, and really nerdy people get with this passage, right? There, there's one aspect of the structure, though, that I want us to pay attention to that we cannot miss, and it's the repetition of the word LORD. It's probably in all caps in your Bible, probably in all caps in your Bible. Now, um, just a good Bible study lesson this morning. Anytime you see the word LORD in all caps in your English Bible, nine times out of ten, that means that is a reference to the, the covenant name of God, to Yahweh. And that's important, right? This is, this is the covenant-keeping God of Israel that is blessing His people. And the way you see that is by that capitalized word, LORD. We see it once in verse 22 and three times in verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you. Make no mistake, this is a blessing from God, from Yahweh. The God who made all of those promises that we've talked about over and over again to Abraham, right? The promise of of land, of descendants, and that they would be, God's people would be a blessing to the nations. This is that God, and he's promising to bless his people, right? Moses, God is saying here, go and have Aaron remind my people. Go and have Aaron remind my people of my covenant with them. I'm Yahweh, God is saying. I made a promise to Abraham that I intend to keep. I'm going to bless my people. God is is telling his people here through Moses and ultimately through Aaron who's going to speak this blessing over his people that blessing comes from me, God is saying. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning. What is the source of the blessing that God is offering here? It's himself. 
Now, now think with me about this for a minute, right? That the source of blessing, the ultimate source of blessing, I would argue the only source of true blessing is God. Think about how we get this twisted in our lives. How we get this twisted. We, we doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God often, don't we? We, we doubt his goodness and his faithfulness, his intent to bless us. And it, we, we demonstrate it by the way that we go about searching for blessings in, in other places, in other little g false gods. The, the passage that came to my mind was from John chapter 4, and maybe you've heard it before. It's the story of Jesus and the, the Samaritan woman. Jesus encountered her at a, at a well in Samaria in John 4. And this woman knew all too well the, uh, the, the craziness of seeking blessing in places other than, other than God. After five failed marriages, the story goes, she's coming to fetch water on this day when Jesus encounters her. She's coming to fetch water in the heat of the day, the hottest part of the day, for her live-in boyfriend, mind you, for her live-in boyfriend, so that none of the other women in the town would see just what an utter failure all of her other attempts at blessing had been. All those failed marriages, all those other men, none of them had ultimately fulfilled her. That's why she'd had five of them. That's why the Lord points out that she's had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not even her husband. Here she is coming in the heat of the day to hide from the other ladies so they can't see all of the other places she's looked for blessing and how they failed her, how they failed her. She meets Jesus on that day. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to her in John 4, 13 through 14. It's going to be on the screen. Everyone, Jesus says, who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water in the well that she had come to draw. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, Jesus says, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The, the thing that we're being reminded of here this morning in the, the structure of, of number six and this, this, this blessing and what Jesus is telling us here is he's saying, you know what, go ahead. Go ahead and look for blessing in life in your spouse. She'll, she'll never be as pretty. He'll never be as romantic as Pinterest says you deserve. Right? Go ahead, look for blessing in your job. Go find it there. Give your life for the blessings that your job and your career offers. You'll never make enough money. You'll never be satisfied with how high you climb on the corporate ladder or whatever it may be. That, that Netflix show, maybe you were looking for blessing in the newest Netflix show. Let me tell you the truth about that Netflix show. I'm confronted with it often. That show that I love, it will have a final season. It will end. It will end. Go, go look for blessing in all of these other things this blessing is telling us, and you will come up empty. You will come up empty because God is the source of blessing. Go looking for water in any other well, Jesus says, and you will just end up thirsty. The question that we must all ask ourselves this morning is where are we looking for blessing? What are the things, the people in our lives that we are constantly returning to to bless us? They're failing us. Only God is the source of blessing. Okay, God is the source of blessing. I think I've made that clear. What is the blessing? 
What is this thing that God is offering to us? What is this thing that he's offering to his people? Now, we, we've already talked about, I've already mentioned to you this morning how this idea of blessing, at least within our culture, in our language, is this junk drawer of meaning and how some have, have perverted this idea of, of God's blessing into nothing more than, than perfect health, a nice car, maybe an exotic vacation. You can insert in there whatever you like. But, but the temptation that we're going to face here, that, that we're facing here this morning with this passage, is that we can, we can tend to over-spiritualize this. Look, look with me. I'll tell you what I mean. Look with me at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. In, in terms of answering what is the actual blessing, what is the thing that God is offering, the first thing that I want you to see, the first aspect of the blessing that God is promising, is he's actually promising to care for and protect his people. That's what the word keep means. That's what it means. It, if you read the book of Genesis, Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he is put in the garden to do what? Can you guess? To keep and work. It's, it's the same word. It's the same exact word. Maybe some of you here this morning are starting a garden. Any gardeners in the room? Anybody, anybody like to garden? Okay, we got a couple, right? right? Maybe you're starting a garden. If you've ever successfully grown one, which I can say to my shame, and I'll loop my wife in there too, to our shame, we have never really been successful at growing a garden, right? You know how much care you have to put into it, right? You have to, you have to weed it. You have to water the garden. You have to prune it. You have to protect it. You have to guard it from wild animals. We lived in uh, North Carolina for a while, and we would always try to have a raised bed garden, and the deer were relentless. We had to put up this big net around our garden to protect it, right? God is promising here to do the exact same thing for his people. Just as Adam was put in the garden to keep it, to protect it, to work it, God is promising here to do the exact same thing for us. Does this sound like a God to you who's not concerned where your next meal's coming from? He is. Does this sound like a God who's not concerned about how the power bill's going to get paid? He is very, very concerned. Very concerned. He cares about what you eat, where it comes from, how you pay your bills. He cares about how you're going to get to work in the morning. He cares about that old jalopy of a car that you've been driving forever, just putting the wheels back on it every time they fall off. God is concerned about all of those things, and his intent is to to keep you, to protect you, to provide you. A good friend of mine would, uh, growing up, he would always always remind us often easily, there's a reason that old refrigerator that should be dead is still working. There's a reason. It's because God keeps and protects and provides for his people. So we, we have to be careful not to over-spiritualize the text. It's not that God is opposed to giving his people material blessings. That is not the case at all. No, God delights in providing for his people. He delights in it. Jesus teaches this very thing in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 30. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anybody anxious about your life this morning? Jesus says, don't be anxious. What will you eat? What, what, what you will drink? Don't be anxious about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow 
nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you anxious about your life? Jesus says to look at the flowers, to look at the birds. This, this blessing this morning reminds us that God keeps us. He, he protects us. Don't, don't you think these people here in Numbers, right? They're, they're gathered around Mount Sinai. They're in the middle of a desert. It's hot. Water is scarce. Food is scarce. Don't you think they're, they're wondering about where their next meal is going to come from? I'm sure they were. I'm sure these people were, were anxious about their life as they waited in the camp for this, this great cloud. It must have been terrifying, right? This great cloud that was the manifestation of God's presence as they waited for it to lift up and lead them on this journey, right? I'm sure they were anxious as they were waiting to hear from Moses, right? Moses, when are we leaving? Like, where are we going? They don't know when. They don't know where. They had no idea what kind of danger lie along the journey, no idea how difficult the battle would be once they got to the promised land. Right? But they had this promise, I will keep you. I will keep you. Friends, we can be assured of the same blessing, the same blessing God has spoken over us if we are in Christ, that God will keep us. He knows, he knows that we need food to eat. He knows that we need clothes to wear. He knows that we need water to drink, houses to live in. He knows all of our needs, and he delights in keeping and providing for us. Now, while God understands, God's, well, while God's people understood that this blessing was a, was a promise for provision like I said, they also knew it was much more than that. It was much richer and much deeper. Now, back in the book of Leviticus, I'm going to jump a little bit here, but I, I'll bring it back together, I promise. Back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, verses 3 through 12, God actually lays out all of the specific ways that he intends to bless his people. And it includes things like clothing, food, protection. You can go read it later if you want. He, he spells it out for them. I'm going to bless my people, and I'm going to do A, B, C, D. I'm going to do all of these things. But it's what God says, what he promises at the end of that passage of Scripture that is most striking and that helps us see into the heart of what this blessing is truly all about. Listen to what God says in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. What, what the people in Numbers here, what God's people understood back then, and the thing that we cannot miss is that the heart of the blessing that God desires to give to his people is himself. It's himself. Everything we've been studying in Numbers has been leading to this passage, to this moment, right? To this moment in the book. 
Everything from the way that God has organized the camp. Remember, they're, they're all camping around the tabernacle the, the, where God's presence dwelt, right? Everything is centered around him. From the instructions about purity, you can't do this, you can't, um, you can't do that, you have to wash your hands a certain way, all of those things so that they could be in his presence. And God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. God's blessing for these people was more than just favorable circumstances, right? It was more than just full bellies, clothes, all of those things. It was him. It was his presence. Now, so if, if the source of the blessing is God, and God is going to keep us, right? That's the first thing that he wants to give us. He wants to keep us, protect us, provide for us. But ultimately, the thing he wants to give us more than anything else is himself. What is that about? What does that mean? Well, that's the, the second aspect to this, uh, to this blessing that I want us to see, that God is promising to be present with his people, that, the, that it's not about the gifts that he gives, but the giver himself, and there's two ways that God is going to do this. There's two ways that God is going to bless his people with his presence. The first way you can see in verse 25. Look at verse 25 in your text. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The first way God promises his presence will be a blessing to his people is that his, blessing will, his presence will lead to grace. Grace. God's presence among his people means grace. It brings grace. God promises to make his face shine upon his people. God's face shining is a, is a metaphor. It's a, it's a word picture for his presence with his people. It's a picture of a father smiling down on his children. Let me ask you this morning, what, what happens to fathers and mothers when they meet their children for the first time? What happens to fathers and mothers? Right? They smile. When you, when you held your child for the first time, you smile. The children that, um, that, that you have now, when, when you walk into a room and you see them, most of the time, right? You smile, right? Because they're, they're your children. You delight in them. Now let me ask you another question. When you, when you first hold that baby, that child, right? And you, and you smile, you delight in that child, right? Is, is that because this child has so much to offer you as a grown adult? Is it because the, this child brings so much to the table, so much benefit to your, you and your wife or maybe the rest of your family? Of course not. What could a little seven-pound head, like my boys, right, just big heads, what could a little seven-pound head possibly have to offer a grown adult? He can't roll over on, him, on his own. He just coos, right? He makes cute noises, but that's, that's only helpful for about 30 minutes, right? What does he bring to the table? What does he have to offer a grown adult who speaks words and walks and does things like drive a car? Children bring nothing to the table. They bring nothing to the table. They eat food that they do not prepare. They make messes they do not clean up, right? They spend money they do not earn. But does any of that matter? Does any of that change the way a parent delights in his child? Of course not, right? 
Especially the, the good parents, right? The, the good parents, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the way that they relate to their child because the child has nothing to offer. That's the thing that God wants us to see in this promised blessing, this promise of his grace. Do you believe that this morning? That that's true about how God sees you? That you bring absolutely nothing to the table. He stands to gain nothing from you, and yet when he looks at you, he smiles. He is delighted that you are his. Man, what a promise. What a promise. Some of you this morning, you have been living your entire life, you've been living your entire life trying to earn someone else's approval. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's God. Maybe you've been trying to earn God's favor. You've, you've fooled yourself into thinking that you can, you can somehow be like an infant trying to earn your keep, trying to make God like you, make him proud of you, make him love you. Maybe even earn his forgiveness if we were really honest with ourselves this morning. Can I give you some really good news from number six? You can't. You can't. You can't make God like you, delight in you. And you don't have to because he already does. He already does. This is the thing that God wants his people to see, that he already delights in them. Despite all of those, uh, all of those stipulations for purity and holiness, God is very serious about those things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But ultimately, God has already made up his mind to bless his people. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He already likes you. He already delights in you. You cannot earn his grace. Out of grace, God has decided on his own that he is going to bless his people. He's going to give you the greatest gift that any father could ever give his son. Any mother could ever give his, his, her son. God's going to give you himself. The blessing is not the gift. It's not the things that we get from God, but it's the giver himself. That's the first way that God's presence blesses us. It gives us grace. The second way that God promises in this text that his presence will be a blessing to us is that God's presence brings peace. It brings peace. Look with me at verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If if the first metaphor of God's presence was a, a word picture of his delight and grace, this third metaphor here is a picture of his attention. His attention and the peace that he offers through it. Now, my boys, my boys are, are like most children, I, I think, right? There's nothing, nothing special about them. You'll see why in just a second, what I'm about to tell you. When they want my attention, they have this thing that they do, Right? They have this thing that they do, and conveniently enough, it is always when I'm trying to have like a really serious conversation with one of you, or I'm trying to focus on something that requires all of my attention, they have this thing that they do. It's always perfect timing. They come up to me, they put their hand on my leg, and they'll say, Dad, 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 and on and on and on to infinity if I don't stop it. They'll just keep going on, dad, 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 right? Now, it started with the oldest, and then the youngest has learned from his brother, right? Like, you know, kind of sin kind of carries to the next generation kind of thing, right? They want my attention. 
They want me to look into their eyes and give them the time of day, if you will. Right? They have something that they want to share with me. They have something that they, they want to do. They want their help, my help with. Isn't this what all children ultimately want? I think that's what I'm learning as a parent. Right? They want the attention of their mothers and their fathers. Don't all children want to know that, that their father is aware of them, that, that he remembers that promise he made to, pay, to play catch after dinner? Right? Don't children want to know that? Don't they want to know that their mother remembers that if you're my son, hey, it's 6 p.m. and it's time to eat, like kind of where's dinner, right? Or don't they want to know that mom and dad remember that it's bedtime and bedtime's always better if it's preceded by a story? Children want their parents' attention. Don't you think these people standing out in the middle of a desert wondering where in the world they're going, how in the world they're going to get there, how in the world they're not going to die along the way. Don't you think they wanted to be sure that God, God's attention was on them? That he was paying attention? That he hadn't forgotten where he was going? Because they didn't know where they were going. Aren't, aren't we all like this in some way? Like little children tapping our Heavenly Father on the leg with our prayers. Dad, Dad, I, I really need to know that you haven't forgotten about me. Right? That you still remember that I'm down here. I know you're up there, but I'm down here. God says to Moses, have Aaron tell my people that I'm paying attention. That I've lifted my countenance toward them. My eyes are on them. I delight in them. I'm gracious toward them. My attention is on them, and I am bringing them peace. But what is that about? Peace. Now, we often think of peace as like, you know, uh, the Treaty of Versailles, right? It ends a war. And peace is the, the cessation, the ending of, of war and conflict. It's not less than that in the Bible, but it's much more, it's much bigger, this idea of peace. Peace, we don't have time to, to go into it. I encourage you to check out a sermon series that we did on the Sermon on the Mount that kind of dives into this idea of peace more. But, but peace is a, a state of complete rest and satisfaction. A state of rest and satisfaction that is ultimately only found in God. Only God is the source of true peace. Remember, he's the source of ultimate blessing also, right? God is here promising to bring an end to all of his people's brokenness. When he says, my attention's on you, that I'm paying attention to you, I'm aware of the things that you need, and I'm bringing you peace, God is promising to bring an end to their brokenness, to restore them to the harmony that once existed before sin entered the world. You remember from the book of Genesis what God used to do in the cool of the day with Adam? He would walk with him because God and man were at peace. But now, if we're reading through numbers, we're probably thinking, like, hold up, wait a minute. How's God going to do this? How's God going to bring peace to his people? We have spent the last five and a half chapters, five and three quarters of a chapter, talking about God's holiness and implicitly our sin our sin, and how God's holiness separates 
him from unclean, from sinful people. How God's holiness made his very presence in the camp dangerous to them because of their sin. How in the world is God going to bring these people peace? I mean, is he just, is he just sweeping all of that stuff that we just read about in Numbers 1 through 5? Is he going to sweep all that under the rug? Is he going to forget about that? I mean, doesn't, couldn't we say, based on what we've read so far in Numbers, that God's presence seems a lot more like a curse than peace? You see, in order for God's presence to be a blessing to his people, God's going to have to take that curse upon himself. God is going to have to take the curse of all of their sin on themselves. That is the great promise that number six is looking forward to. And he's going to do that through the work of his sinless son. Number six, just like every other passage in the Bible, is a gospel passage. It's pointing us to the gospel. Listen to how Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is the source of true blessing. He's going to keep his people, protect and provide for them. He's going he's to be with them. He's going to give them his presence and bring them grace and peace, and he's going to do it all, ultimately, through the work of his Son, God is is going to take all of the sin that should have been brought on us, that should have been brought on all of these people, all of that sin and the resulting curse, God lays it all on His Son. We're going to celebrate that next week in Easter. What God promised His people would do, what He would do for His people in number 6, He's actually done it in Christ. This is what number six looks forward to. My friends, we have grace and peace this morning. We have grace and peace in God's presence because of what Christ has done. This morning, if if you've never trusted in Christ for this grace and peace, for this thing that you cannot earn, for this broken relationship that you can never repair, your only hope is Christ. Your only hope in the face of such a, a horrible curse is Christ. The gift of God is not, it's not the gifts themselves, it's the giver. So we've talked about the source of the blessing, we've talked about what the blessing is. What's the purpose of the blessing? Why did, why did God choose to bless his people in this way? Look at verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will bless them. Now, we don't, we don't treat names the way that most people in or the Bible understands and treats names. Names carried far more weight in the ancient world. A person's name in the Bible is a reference to their character and their reputation. So when God says, I'm going to put my name on these people, He's really saying that he is so committed to these people, to his people, that he's going to put his reputation, his very namesake on the line for them. He's attaching to them his holy character and his unassailable reputation. He's giving them something that they could never earn, never keep. It's a a picture 
God is putting his name on his people. It's a picture of what God is going to ultimately do for them and all of us in Christ. His reputation, his holiness is going to become ours. It's going to become ours. They were his people, and he was committed to blessing them, and no matter how many times they failed him, and trust me, when we get into the second part of Numbers, they're going to fail him a lot. We're going to get tired of it. They fail him so often. They're going to fail him a lot, and no matter how many times he failed them, he had attached his name to them. They were his, and it had a very, very specific purpose. He wanted the world to know. He wanted the world to know that no matter how many times they failed, he was committed to blessing them. He was committed to them. God's heart to us this morning is to bless to provide, to protect, to show grace, to bring, to bring peace, all of those things. But it was never intended. God's blessing throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, it was never intended for just one people, one person. It was always intended for the nations. We, we've talked a lot about this promise that God made Abraham way back in Genesis. It kind of undergirds the book of Numbers. God promised them what? Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants that are more vast than the stars in the heavens. Right? I'm going to give you a land that is all your own. Do you remember the third part? Through you, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. God was putting his name on his people so that as he blessed them, they could be a blessing to their neighbors, to the nations. Christ Fellowship, as, as followers of Jesus, the same is true for you. If you are in Christ this morning, God has placed his name upon you. You are his, not because you've earned it, not because you, you brought anything to this relationship with him, but simply because he decided of his own free will that he was going to love you and he was going to make you his. And God has put your name on you, not to make much of you, not to give you a big bank account, fancy cars, all of those things, right? That's how we get it twisted. God hasn't blessed you with the gospel for those things. He's blessed you so that in turn you can be a blessing. That's why he's put his name upon you. So that the world might see in you him. God has put his name upon all of us if we are in Christ so that little, like little conduits of blessing we might be a blessing to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Who are you blessing? It's the temptation we all face, right? We start talking about blessing. We start thinking about ourselves, thinking about the things that we want, the things that we need, when ultimately the one who is the true source of blessing says that I give blessing so that you can be a blessing to others. As we, as we approach Easter, as we, uh, as we prepare to, to worship the crucified and ultimately the risen Christ this morning, the blessing that God spoke through Aaron, Moses and Aaron over his people has ultimately been given to all of us in Christ. Who are we being a blessing to? When's the last time that 
you've had a conversation about this tremendous blessing with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend at school? When's the, the last time that you've let this, this tremendous blessing that you've received in Christ overflow into some act of, of blessing on another, some act of sacrifice or service? When's the last time you've spoken this blessing to someone? Friends, as we, as we leave here in just a minute, let us hold fast to this truth that God has decided of his own, of his own volition to bless us. That's his heart, to bless us with grace and peace, and that because we are blessed, we must go and be a blessing. Would you pray with me? Father, your, your blessing to us is, is deep and wide and rich. And ultimately, it's, it's, it's fulfilled in Christ. Father, would you, would you help us to, in the words of the, the hymn, to count our many blessings? Not necessarily the, our material possessions, while those are important and you bless them with us, but, but to count all of the ways that, that we have grace and peace in Christ. To count all of the ways that, that you have have looked over our sins as you laid them on your Son. All the ways that you have shown us grace, shown us blessing that we didn't deserve, and, and all the ways that, that we have made war and conflict with you, and yet you bring us peace. Father, we are a blessed people. Help us not to make that blessing about ourselves, but that that blessing would overflow in blessing to our, our families, our friends, and our neighbors. Help us in these things, I pray, for the good name of Jesus. Amen.